0: Please welcome to How I Became an Independent Podcaster at the Apple Store Covent Garden in London. Please welcome Mike Hurley. Thank you.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Uh, so today I want to talk about how I became an independent podcaster. My name is Mike Hurley. I am the co-founder of FM and I have been podcasting since April 2010, so this will be my fifth year, which is fantastic. Many people are more familiar with that opening slide relating to a tweet that I sent out when I quit my full-time marketing job in October. What should have been a monumental moment for me included a pretty hilarious typo, where instead of professional podcaster, I said professional podcasters, uh, which people don't ever let me forget, and I'm reminded of it a lot, but now it's something that I'm kind of hilariously and strangely proud of. Who is Mike Hurley? So, why did I get into podcasting? I've always wanted a creative outlet for myself. I consider myself a creative person, and I love technology, always have. And I've always wanted to do something that's focused around tech that allowed me to kind of be creative. And I tried blogging and was terrible at it, really bad please don't google me hard enough because you will find some horrible things uh i find talking a lot easier than writing because when i write i create horrible spelling mistakes i didn't know what would come out of starting a podcast but i went for it anyway because it's something that i just wanted to try and do and My first show was a show called The Bro Show, which is also the worst name for a podcast that has ever existed. Uh, But it was a show that I started with one of my best friends from college and from school. Uh, We kind of grew up together, and we used to have these conversations on the phone every week. We'd talk about technology. We'd talk about Apple. And over time, it was like, well, we should probably just record these and put them out to the world. So we did that. Um, That was on, I think, April 10th, 2010 was my first ever podcast. It was just before the iPad was released or announced. It was just before it came out here. And I worked on this over a um, couple of years and stuff like that. And I got to the point where I was doing lots of shows. Uh, And I ended up creating my first podcast network. It was called 70 Decibels. It started in 2011. So I've been podcasting for about a year and was doing maybe five or six podcasts at that point and was managing multiple websites. I was like, right, time to put it all into one. Um, I was totally bitten by the podcasting bug. Anybody that starts one show has like 50 shows by the end of the second week. It's insane, you just kind of can't stop. Um, 70 decibels is something that I built from the ground up and it was something that I worked really, really hard on. And then it paid off because I achieved a dream of mine in 2013 when we merged with 5 by 5 which is a fantastic podcast network in America that has great history, some fantastic shows. And I was very happy and very privileged to work with Dan Benjamin for a couple of years. This was a huge learning experience for me. What it did was allow me to take the time oh, and take my thinking away from trying to run a business to just think about the content. And that has been really, really important for me in like, what I've been able to do going forward. Then in August of this year, I launched Relay FM with one of my best friends, my co-founder, Stephen Hackett. We have been basically brought over a bunch of old shows, rebranded them, started afresh, and we started a few new shows as well. It felt like it was time for me to forge my own path again, and I wanted to go out and achieve some new goals and some new dreams, and Relay definitely felt like the place for that. I couldn't be happier with how we're doing. Um, after a couple of months, I was able to quit my full-time job, and that, this is what I do now, and Relay is our thing. Uh, and I'm, I love it. I love looking at the artwork on that screen. It looks looks pretty good. Um, but all of this is just to say about my background. So if you don't know me, to understand why I think I know a thing or two about podcasts. The podcast renaissance. We're in that again. Uh, I think may be about the third or fourth time that we've been in a renaissance. But I'm excited about it. For anybody that's done this stuff for long enough, this comes around every now and then, something big happens, something popular happens, more shows start to pop up, so people say, we're in a renaissance. Um, But any kind of press is good press. The more people are talking about podcasting, the better it is. The more people getting excited about it, the more big outlets starting shows, it's good for us all. And I mean, we all know where it came from, serial. Um, that's why we're here now, and that's why, like as we're recording this today, Slate, which is a great collection of sites and fantastic blogs, has started their own podcast network. Like, th- More and more and more people are getting into this, and it's fantastic for us, because the more people, the more big outlets that get into podcasting, the more that it legitimizes the medium, which is brilliant for all of us. Only a good thing comes out of these shows, out of shows like Serial, shows like Startup, shows like Invisibilia. It brings more people to the medium, which is great for anyone like me who's trying to make a living from doing this type of thing. And it also brings more advertiser interest, which is really great. What makes a good podcast? This is a really hard question to ask, and it's a question that I'm asked a lot, because there is no magic formula. There's nothing that I can tell you, do these 10 steps and you will have a fantastic podcast of a million listeners. But I do think that I've found a combination of four things that I think are key. Uh, and I think if you have them, you'll, you'll do okay. This is where I take a dramatic pause to take a sip of water. See, so This is tension, everyone. So the first of these things is to think about character. Now, when I say character, this can be your character or the character of the show that you're trying to create. And chemistry is incredibly important for this. So this can be just you. if you're, It's just going to be you on your own. How you, If you're excited about what you're talking about, if you have interesting things to say, it all builds to the chemistry of the show. But especially if you have co-hosts, it's the way that you all interact with each other. A mistake many people can make is just to find a person and start a podcast with them and the first time they've ever spoken was episode one. Like That doesn't really work because people like to hear the relationships between the hosts. So having a good chemistry is really important for that. A listenable voice is something that is also important but difficult because what is a listenable voice? I don't know if mine is. I know that when I started, I sounded terrible and I didn't enunciate anything and I just kind of rambled through sentences. And there are lots of people that can't understand some of the things that I say. It adds to my charm, I think. Uh, And having a British voice in an American-dominated world like where our podcasts are is pretty good for that. It adds a bit of character to my voice. But the reason I say all of this and think about chemistry and think about how you sound is because podcasts are an inherently intimate thing. They are voices that people choose to put in their ears. When you hear somebody talk in your ears, you hear the inflection in their voice, their personality, which is usually something reserved for face-to-face conversations or phone conversations. You tend to only really hear people in your ear when you care about them. So there's like this weird connection, in a good way, that happens between podcasters and their audiences because you are used to hearing them in your ear, which is a really nice thing. Podcasting is pretty special for that. You also need to think about story. So find a good topic or a good story if you want to create something that is multi-layered or fictional. You have to have a good story. You have to have something that you're interested in. Don't just pick something because you think it might have a listener base. Pick something you love. I have a show about pens. (laughs) It has an audience. People like it. And it's because me and Brad, my co-host, we love pens. So it's something that works for us. Presentation is important. Um, You have to try and make the show sound as good, or if you're doing a video, look as good as it can. And I'll talk a little bit later about some ways that I think you can do that. But don't go crazy over it. Don't, like, spend two weeks editing your tech news show to try and make it sound good, if then all the news is old. You've got to try and find what makes sense for you. There's got to be a balance there between how much time you put into the editing and how much time until you want to actually get the episode out. But be happy with what you create, Take pride in it. Scheduling is an interesting one, but I actually think it's the most important in a weird way. I know too many people that start podcasts that are just on a random schedule, and they do, like, two episodes, and then they just never do them again. You have to kind of try and find a schedule that fits for you and stick to it. And one of the reasons is that is because people expect their shows on certain days, and they plan their lives around them. Like, you know your Wednesday commute is going to be this show. Or like, you know, I knew every second Thursday I was waiting for cereal, and if it came to the end of the day, I was like, where is it? Uh, So people get like that, and they notice when scheduling changes. Once you get people that start listening to your show, try and respect them and give them the show when you say you're going to. When it comes to equipment. You can really go crazy. I've spent more money than I wish I would have spent on things I never should have spent money for. I just replaced a 16-channel mixer, which cost me an amount of money that is horrible, with this tiny little box, which does it so much better. So you have to try and be sensible in the purchases that you make and try not to break the bank when it might be a hobby for a while. I started as well with this terrible Logitech headset. That was too low. Like, don't do that. If you're semi-serious about podcasting uh, I would suggest the Blue Yeti microphone. It's a relatively cheap microphone, it's like hundred quid or hundred dollars. It does the job pretty well and I used one of these for a couple of years and I still recommend it to people. Um, I record with people still every week that use these. Um, It has a mute button, it has a headphone jack which is really important because you can plug it into the bottom and hear your voice as you talk. Uh, that's what I like about the setup we've got today is I can hear myself because I'm used to that. Like I'm used to hearing my own voice now, and it really helps when you're trying to improve the way you sound. If you can hear yourself, you can hear the mistakes you make, and you can try and improve on them week on week. But the Blue Yeti is a really good option for a USB microphone that does the job pretty well. When it comes to software, um, if you're a Mac user, you're in luck. GarageBand is a great place to start, and again, I used it for years, way longer than I should have, Um, like maybe until like 12 months ago, maybe not even that, I was using GarageBand to edit all of my shows. Um, I'm more familiar with version 6, um, which has some different settings than version 10, but every Mac still has version 6 installed on it. It's in a folder called GarageBand in your applications folder if you're looking for it. GarageBand gives you all of the basic editing tools that you're going to need, and it is a fantastic place to start. There are other tools, like I use Logic Pro now, um, but it can be really daunting because it's built for really professional music production. Um, But there are some great tools in there that once you get the hang of them, you can get a lot more proficient with editing. But GarageBand is a great place to start, and it's actually a good stepping stone up to the more uh, advanced editing suites. Going back to what I was talking about earlier, editing is important, um, but only if you have the good foundations like story and sound and character. You've got to think about those, but take time in the edit, make it as good as you want it to be, and sound as good as you want, and even GarageBand can easily give you the tools to do that. Where do the ideas for shows come from? And this is like, where do you get the idea for the show, and where does the ideas come for each episode? The easiest way for this, as I mentioned, is to find something that you love. Um, podcasting is great because there's nobody that can tell you what you can and can't do. You can have a show about anything. There's no regulatory bodies. Nobody can shut you down. I mean, maybe with a lawsuit, but I haven't had one of those yet. Um, If you find something you want to talk about every week, then you will want to talk about it every week. If it's something that you really love and you have these strong opinions about something, you can share them on podcasts. And that's where the ideas come from. Just find something that you love and talk about it. Be nerdy about it. Be super niche about it because there are people out there that will feel the way that you feel about something. And they will love to hear you talk about it. That's what I love about podcasting. You can have one about anything. There's nobody to stop you. But once you choose your idea, once you choose the topics, do your research. You owe it to your audience to be well-informed about what you're talking about. Don't wing it. Like, if you found something and that's what you want to talk about, make sure that you know what you're talking about each week when you're going into it. And you have to do some sort of preparation. Respect your listeners. And, you know, I do outlines for my shows, so I know these are the types of things I want to cover this week. When I do interviews, I have all the questions written out in advance. Like Think about what you want to talk about, and it will really help you to create the show that you want to make. This is probably the question that I'm asked second most. The next one is the one I'm asked the most, which is, where do listeners come from? This is a, a really hard question to ask because I do not know. Like, when I started my first podcast, I had like 50 Twitter followers, and I tweeted that I had a show, and maybe like seven people listened. And But the benefit of that, and the benefit of not trying to find an audience too quickly, is you're able to, and I was able to, get better at this behind the scenes. People weren't paying attention to me, and I was able to get better and practice and practice with nobody listening, which was really great. And I encourage that, of everyone starting out, don't try and hunt for a huge audience straight away get better at what you're talking about, get more practice, more versed in the medium before you try and attract a large audience. But once you do want to find one, um, promote it, you know, Uh, go on Twitter and talk about it, try and get word of mouth for your show is important. And one of the things that I did, and it worked for me at the time, was to get guests on my show, um, because it built an audience of people that were kind of like a second step removed from me, so the guests would, promote the episode if they enjoyed it, and it would bring more people, and over time, you start to build a critical mass, and then when you release a new episode of a brand new show, you have an inbuilt audience, and it kind of so, like, tumbles on from there. But If you stick to those four things that I mentioned, character, story, presentation, and scheduling, I genuinely believe that the listeners will come, but it's a matter of when, I guess. It's difficult. It is really difficult to find audiences. And I know many people that will be having a show, they'll have 100 episodes and nobody's listening. And it's easy to give up um, because you kind of feel like you're just throwing something out there every week and nobody's there. But you've got to keep going at it because you will get better over time. And I genuinely believe this, and many people say this, but I do believe it that if you keep working at something and you get better at it and what you're making is good, people will find it because it just seems natural. The question I'm asked the most of people that are already doing podcasts is where does the money come from? Now, this is a pretty difficult point because there isn't a lot of it. Um, And that is something that is changing all the time. When I first started doing podcasts and even when I had reasonable size audiences of like five to 10,000 people back when I was doing 70 decibels, it was really hard to find any advertiser interest because at that time they wanted 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 audiences, like the big sponsors like your Squarespace and Igloo and companies like that. But as time has gone on and there are more podcasts and the audiences are growing, those numbers are coming down. So now it's kind of like to get a larger company to want to sponsor your show, maybe five, 10,000 and they'll look at it. So this is something that is changing over time and that is because of going back to companies like Serial. It increases the awareness of podcasts which brings smaller advertisers as well who only have the budget for shows that are smaller, maybe five to 10,000 listeners. And that's where you can kind of find these smaller companies. But it's a lot of work, and I don't recommend people try and find a lot of this stuff on their own. And I really think that you should wait for some of it to come to you so you know there's an audience of people that want to pay to get their products and their messages out to people that listen to your shows. I think that this will continue to change, um, because it has over time. But it is hard work. It's hard to get yourself noticed by the right people. It's hard enough to get the audiences, let alone to then find the people that are willing to pay money—you know, real money—to you to to say something for them. But I don't want this to sound like a downer, like because the money is there. Like I am now able to support myself financially, and we're doing really well as a company. But it's just taken a few years for me to get there. But I genuinely don't see why anyone can't get to the point that I'm at now, because my beginnings were nothing to, to where I am now. I was just a guy who couldn't spell very well, who wanted to talk about some stuff. And so that's what I love about podcasting as well is it is so liberating because you can just do what you want. but. A lot of people now are looking at crowdfunding as well, Now, this is something that I've had an eye on, but we've not really done anything like this before. But there are are people like Tom Merritt, who has a a show called The Daily Tech News Show. He makes like $15,000 a month from his Patreon supporters. There is an audience of people out there that want to pay for content. Now this, you can't do this from day one, right? Because you've got to have a thing that people love enough to want to pay you for. But I'm, I'm interested to see where this goes. I mean, maybe in five years' time, all podcasts are listener-supported. I know that in places like some places in Europe, like in Germany, they their, their big podcasts do not have advertising. They are completely listener-supported. It's like a totally different model. Maybe it's the future there, I'm not sure. But I know that at the moment, we're building a business based on advertising. And I think it works well for us. We have good advertisers that we like to work with. But I think that crowdfunding is going to be something that becomes more and more important as time goes on. So I think I've been speaking really quickly because we're now at questions. (laughs) So I really hope that uh, some of you have some questions for me, Uh, please. Uh, if anybody does, I think we've got some mics in the room and people will bring them around.
0: Um, what do you think it would take to get a uh, podcast to a wider audience, like to non-tech people? Because that tends to be the the general audience, um, certainly for most of your shows. What do you think it would take, maybe from Apple or somebody like that, to get podcasts into a wider a wider audience.
1: So Serial episode t- uh, Series 2 will be a good a good thing that <laughs> <laughs> will bring more people and and I think it is part of that. I think it's part content and then there's maybe some technical stuff that can happen. So more big shows like Serial will be a really great thing and as more of these big companies get on board and start creating really interesting content, that will work. Like Startup is another show that I love which is also producing bigger audiences of people that didn't typically listen to this sort of stuff. Um, Apple putting the podcasts app pre-installed onto iOS devices now I think is a really big thing for us because it's there, it's a thing that people can click on and take a look at. And that's one big thing. I think that it's, it's difficult for me because I don't want there to be a company that owns podcasting. I like that it's, it's independent. Um, and I like that companies like Apple, they produce a directory and you can go there, but your shows still belong to you. They don't host or anything like that for you, and that's great. But maybe there's more of that sort of stuff that needs to happen, more directories popping up. And people say, and, and, and I believe it to a point that the car is going to be a big point for podcasting. And when things like CarPlay and Android Auto and stuff like that become more prevalent and are more widely accepted, I think it will I think we'll start to overtake radio. Um, so this is a question about I guess uh, women as podcast um, listeners I mean if, I was just looking
2: around here and there aren't many of them and I remember reading your blog back in I think 2012-13 saying where you know where, where any women podcasters come, come to uh, 70 decibels uh, you got, just got um, Rocket um, with three women as their co hosts what more needs to be done I guess coming on from that question for them and um, do you want more women uh, in Relay?
1: Yes, definitely, Um, and that's something that we're always working on to make Relay more diverse, and we were really excited to be able to do that with Rocket. We were able to bring three really strong female voices to our network, and it's something that we were always thinking about from day one, was how do we try and find a balance. It is really difficult. Um, There are, quite simply, not at the moment as many female voices in this industry as there are male voices. I think it comes from people like us, and we have to find more people to put on the air that want to be on the air to try and open it up to a wider audience. I I believe that Relay's audience has grown in female listeners because we have brought Rocket in. So I know it's bringing new people as well, because one of the hosts, Brianna Wu, she's a a great activist for change, and she is bringing new people to us. And I think it takes stuff like that, really strong female voices, but it also takes people like us to try and unearth them and give them a platform. And I think that we kind of have to wait for the two to go hand in hand. As there are more voices, there'll be a wider audience. As there's a wider audience, there'll be more people that want to start doing it themselves but it's something that people like me have to think really hard about when we do. Um I noticed so you have 9 podcasts on Relay. Is that right? Sounds about right. 9 and you're you're on pretty much all of them. I think that's it. What, 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 what I was that deliberate when you started out that you sort of wanted to be sort of a host role within uh, sort of a, a a network that you created? or is your plan more to sort of take a back seat on the hosting front as you go forward? Or sort of, yeah. So when I originally set up 70 decibels, we set it up that way because I was doing so many shows, so it just made sense to bring them together. And then we carried a lot of those over to 5x5, and then when we moved again to create Relay, we brought the shows that I was doing, which was like four, I think, and we added a couple of new ones. This mainly comes because I love Podcasting, I love to be on the air. Uh, maybe over time I won't do as many shows, so I'm working on a project now uh, with Inquisitive, which was the show that I've kind of... The Bro Show became Command Space, became Inquisitive. I've done a show every Wednesday for five years. That show is more heavily produced, and it's taking more of my time. Um, so maybe if we move into more things like that, I'll have less time for hosting. Where I kind of run a lot of the business stuff, I do that because I have to, because there's nobody else to do it. I always want to be behind the mic. Maybe as time goes on, I won't do as many shows, um, and Relay will have more shows, so maybe the percentage of shows that I do will go down over time. Uh, but my real love is being in front of the microphone, so I'm always going to do a bunch maybe it won't be as many as possible. It wasn't like a, a thing that we really set out. It was like Relay was gonna be Mike. It was just, we had all these shows already, so we just started doing them. But it's a good question, because it's something that I'm thinking about a lot, is how much of my time do I wanna split?
3: Um, hi, I've just started doing some podcasting because, uh, like you, I've... Um, I suppose I've always enjoyed doing radio work, and I think that uh, podcasting is a great way of moving forward. I'm actually a food writer, so what I want to talk about is food. I also have a passion for whiskey. And I would have thought that food and whiskey... You know, you're all smiling at me now. I'm not this sort of old woman in the corner. So, you know, I've started doing these podcasts where I go out and chat to people... Um, the first one I did was just, well, it was really a happy a- accident. I caught up with a guy in Scotland who has a smokery. I hadn't seen him for 10 years, and we'd been in Scotland buying whiskey, basically. So I took three whiskies along, and we had the most fantastic time matching whiskies to I smoke meat. I love the meat. Sound of your podcast. Uh, yeah. Um, but... Is there something... I just, I'd just i like to ask you, but I'd like to ask everybody else as well. Is it a negative to talk about food in podcasts, given that many people are commuting? OK? Oh, well. So, <laughs> you know, they might eat the person next to them or something. You know, I, I don't think so.
1: I, I think food is actually a, an interesting one, because you'd think, like, if it's audio, you're not showing anything. But interestingly... The power of the imagination yeah, is amazing. Yeah, absolutely.
3: And you can do a YouTube clip then to sort yeah. of link into it.
1: Yeah, video is a great thing for stuff like food. Um, but you can definitely do audio. And I think that clearly you you are passionate about these things. and Far too clearly. <laughs> which is all you kind of need. And I think that that will come off in the stuff that you do. But I, I, I don't think you should be restricted by subject matter in anything. Because if you, if you love it, if you genuinely have a passion for it, as I was saying, it comes out and you'll find the people that are also love food and whiskey, which is probably everyone in this room. Yes. Uh, and they will want to listen to it because of that. So I, I don't think you should feel like you need to, to be restricted in any way. Right, um, I was wondering how you split work with Steven on Relay. So, yeah, I mentioned that I have a co-founder, Stephen. And the the thing is, when we first started out, we both had full-time jobs as well. So we would just kind of, however the first person to pick up something would just do it, because we never never had any time. Now that I am full-time working on the business, I kind of take care of all of the production of my shows um, and some of the admin stuff. Stephen has a great mind for spreadsheets, he's going to hear this and kill me, but he does, he's really good at them. So he does a lot of the things like that, and he's also a really great person to stop me doing insane things, which, of which I would do a lot if he wasn't there. I actually don't think the business would still be running if he wasn't there. Um, but for me and him, as new things are happening, we know each other so well, we inherently know who the best person will be to take the work So we do that, and we're very open with each other, as I think anybody in a business needs to be, especially if your best friend's going into a business, because it can be difficult. We're very open with each other as to who we think should take the job. We have discussions, and we split things that way. It's kind of just like, as new things pop up, which they are all the time, we try and split them. But because I have more time to devote to this stuff than he does, I maybe pick up a bit more of the work right now.
2: Hello. First, thanks for
1: all the great shows. had to get there in there
2: um i just wanted to ask you about marketing really as the company's growing and you're more successful and you've got more money is that something you're actually thinking about doing beyond presumably what is word of mouth at the moment
1: obviously we believe in advertising <laughs> uh, and it's something that i we've been thinking a lot about and trying to understand what the medium could be so i, I do genuinely believe that word of mouth is the most powerful form of marketing for something like this somebody personally saying you should listen to this is potentially more powerful than me writing a promoted tweet but it's something that we're thinking about i'm just not sure yet what the channels are maybe we advertise on other podcasts could be something that we do because it's that's the inbuilt audience um but it's it's difficult because i don't know what the channels are yet but as we are growing as a business, I do think that is something we're going to consider more of.
2: Uh, Sorry to keep the mic, but um, is there uh, any plans to do video? Because I imagine that if you could get an audience on YouTube, that's potentially much bigger, Mm -hmm. and that could get a lot of attention to your
1: podcasts. People have brought that up before. Um, I just don't really have a lot of desire to do video. Uh, I record from my bedroom, and (laughs) I would have to set up a whole different scenario in which to record video I've done it a few times and I like it but it's very different um, if you take a show that used to that has always been audio and then you make a video component out of the same show it fundamentally changes it because then your you and your host are talking about the things you can see and then for the listener it changes so once you go video you're a kind of a video show even if that's not your intention so that's one hesitancy I've had about it but kind of my attitude is never to say never because there are things that I've done that I do now that I maybe never thought that I would do and I've made decisions along the way and changed as to where I think the best way to go. I mean, if the whole industry goes video, then I'll have to think about it. But right now, it, is, it just isn't something that I'm that interested in. I appreciate there's maybe people I'm leaving behind, but it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. I'm making the thing that I love and video is just something that I'm personally not as excited about, so I choose not to make it. I think you've been very lucky to work with a lot of important people in podcasting. Uh, What is the biggest lesson you've learned in uh, 5x5 with Dan Benjamin? I think the biggest lesson for me was that I was too much of a control freak. Um, Having worked on 70 decibels previously, I'd kind of had all of the control. So when I went to 5 by 5 I was a host on 5x5. And as I mentioned, it allowed me to focus on the content. But after a while, I started itching to just want to do my own thing again. Um, and the other thing was like I, I felt like I achieved my dream. And then I think once you achieve your dream, what do you do? Like You've achieved your dream. Now what? So I had to make new dreams. But I think part of it came out of I just wanted to be able to do everything again once I'd found my feet in the content. So I think the biggest lesson for me was just that i like to have the control in, in these scenarios. And that's what I think we have with Relay, what well, we do. And, and I love it. It's a good question.
3: Mike, what proportion of the people who actually listen to your shows click through to your show notes?
1: I don't know. Um, and, and that's because we don't get a lot of analytics from... App, well, we don't get analytics from the apps. So if people tend to listen in their apps and they'll go through to the show notes, because the other thing is once you have a podcast inside of an app like Overcast or the Apple app, the show notes are taken away from you. You don't see any page information there because they're clicking a link and they go out to, to look at something else. I expect a lot because we... Make a lot. We put a lot of time into creating the show notes and people are always very accepting of them. And I base it around my own listening behaviour. So I know that when I listen to shows, I like there to be good show notes, so we do the same.
2: Hi. Um, so I'm doing a guess here. I think a lot of people are passionate about tech here. Yeah. Obviously, there's food as well. Great. Um, and whiskey, yes. Um, so it seems you talked about doing something you're passionate about, but... Do you think that the tech podcast area is kind of oversaturated right now? I mean, I know you're breaking out and doing something different.
1: I think it is in the format that we're used to, um, which is just a couple of people talking over Skype. I think that there is always room for more interesting voices, but it's harder to get noticed. If you're someone who has great things to say, then yes, do it. And I'm sure you'll find an audience because there are A massive audience of people that are interested in tech, but I think there are a lot of those types of shows. Um, So I think it's important to think of format, but also if you love tech, find the thing in tech that you love a lot, like don't just do all of Apple and all of Microsoft, maybe just find the thing that interests you the most about that stuff. So maybe you are super interested in wearable computing, it's something that people are talking a lot about, maybe you can make a show that's dedicated to that. But I do think it's becoming harder and harder to get noticed to be you and a friend and maybe another friend talking about technology news. So it's something that all networks struggle with that eventually you kind of get to a point where too much stuff sounds the same. Um, And it's something that we're always thinking about and trying to evolve on. Hi, I've got an analog-like question. How did it feel the first day without like a regular job to go to? Like, did you wake up? A bit worried what you've done or it's used, or lots of time or... I'll well, say from the second day, because the first day I went to a funeral, which is the worst way to start your dream job, which is to go to a funeral on the first day. Uh, so the second day, and kind of every day since, is weird because it feels right. Um, I've never kind of had a day where I'm like, uh, uh, it hasn't happened yet, I'm sure it will. It's kind of like this just feels like this is always what I've done. There are moments of fear, and those moments of fear are attached to certain things like a deal that you did fell through or you didn't meet a goal that you wanted to get. And I think that I'm always going to have those things. All people that work for themselves have those things. But it ultimately was an amazing feeling uh, to wake up and be like, I don't have to answer to anyone anymore. I can do whatever I want, except for Stephen. I do have to answer to him, which is fine. Uh, but it is, it's, a, it's an incredible feeling, and, and I love every day, even when, it, even when I'm still working till four in the morning. Uh, I'm doing it because I want to, not because I don't have any time.
2: Mike, I do listen to quite a lot of your podcasts, but uh, I've never listened to one of the live broadcasts. So I'd just like to know what prompted you to do live podcasts, and what's the advantage from your point of view?
1: I was always kind of behind, uh, like against live shows. Um, I didn't really do, I didn't do any live shows really until we started Relay. Uh, I didn't do them with 70 decibels. I didn't want to set up the infrastructure, and it kind of we never really fit into 5x5's recording schedule. There always seemed to be some clashes because the network was quite large, and that was kind of an excuse for me to not do them. Because I, I believed that doing live would make the experience completely different and it would feel like I was performing rather than talking to the people. Because if I knew there were people listening, it would cha- maybe change my mindset a little bit and maybe I wouldn't feel as free in what I was saying. Once I started doing it, I kind of realized that it doesn't really make a difference. I can forget that there are people there and quite often I do and there's people talking in the chat room and they're asking questions and I'm kind of not paying any attention to it. The reason we did live is because when we were setting up a network, people would have expected it. Um, It's a staple of the type of podcast network that we are, like the tech-focused network, to have a live audience, to be able to stream and chat. The benefit that I have found now that I didn't understand before is the people that listen live, who can listen live, are some of your biggest supporters and they are a fantastic group of people. They help us out with things if we need it, but they're also, they will like really shout from the rooftops about the stuff that you do. We have a weird recording schedule, which means it kind of doesn't fit for a lot of people. So I know there are a lot of people that would like to listen live that can't, um, but for everybody that does is a, like a super fan and that makes it totally worth it for me now, which I didn't see before. It's a good question. Uh, what's been your biggest surprise? Over, over your whole career in podcasting? That so I've been able to be successful at it. Like, when I started doing this, it was kind of like, this seems fun. And then maybe after like six months, was like, ooh, maybe there's a business here. But for as much as I believed I could do it, I didn't think I ever would. Because these types of things where you're entertaining, uh, especially in like the, the corner that most of my shows fit in in the internet, like this Apple-centric news, blogging, tech, podcasting space. It can be really hard to break into that. Um, it's, uh, there are a lot of people there that have been doing it for a very long time, and they have their audiences. So the fact that I was able to get to a point where we have good audiences, we have lots of people that are interested, that has probably been the, the biggest surprise. I'm very happy about it. But there were a lot of times where I thought, I might not be able to do this. So being able to do it is amazing. Um, possibly
2: one of your own questions. Uh, what do you want to be known for? <laughs> uh,
1: no longer that question. No, um, I think for me now, I want to be known... This maybe is, is more of a brash answer than I'd usually give, but it's because it's something that's been said recently. I want to be known for raising the bar. Um, I'm working... We are working really hard at Relay to try and make ourselves stand out and to push forward what we do, and I want me and us to be known for that now. That's something that I'm very proud that there have been anybody that said that to us, and. People have been saying it recently, and it's something that is amazing to me. So now I, I want us to be known for that. I want people to look at Relay as a place that has incredible content that people really love, and that we're doing things differently in a good way.
0: Uh, I was just going to say uh, congratulations on the new Inquisitive uh, format. I think it's really good. I haven't had a chance to hear the new one yet, so I'm looking forward to that. Cause I'm I think supposed it's to get better and better. I think yeah. it's better but... I would say that. <laughs> uh, I, like, I like the fact that you kind of said that, you know, you heard things like Serial and thought, I could do something like that. And that's kind of like a great place to start, I think. But I just wonder why you decided, rather than um, uh, starting afresh with a new name, uh, I mean, it's, it kind of rolls on from that, but why you didn't kind of start from sort of episode one and you're kind of continuing on from there?
1: Yeah, that there's a, we're thinking about that, and me and Stephen were talking about it quite a bit Um my original feeling was to do that, to go and just start a brand new show. Um, but then the more we thought about it, from a logistical standpoint, it was kind of frustrating. We're only six months old. saying, like, that show's dead, here's a new one. Kind of seemed a bit crazy to me. And also there was like this nostalgic thing that I've carried this one show over for so long now, this, this Wednesday show, you know, as, through the years. I didn't want to just change it over for the sake of it. And the other reason, and probably the biggest reason, is I didn't know if it would work. Um, And we still kind of have to go a way forward through this series that I'm doing to make sure that people want it so that we will continue doing it afterwards. I didn't want to set up a brand new show, do 10 episodes of it and then let it go again. So I wanted to see if it would work and also the name Inquisitive I think really fits for what I'm trying to do now. Because the idea is not like we, we're doing this series behind the app right now where we're taking a look at the history of the app store and how people develop and make a living on iOS. But I have other ideas that I want to do that I've got nothing to do with that at all. Um, so we're, I'm hoping that we'll be able to do more and more of them over time. So I kind of wanted to keep, keep it inside that one show. There, there are arguments for and against doing it, but for us it just made the most sense. Would you would you then go back
0: to doing the original format again? Or if it was successful, would you spin it off and then, uh, then put Inquisitive back on the original path?
1: Um, I don't know if we'll spin it off. I just haven't come to that decision yet, um, especially because at that point, if we've done it, it's been successful, which would mean changing the name would probably be a bad move at that point because um, you have a bit of name recognition. You also have to get everyone to subscribe to a new feed. I probably will do one-on-one interviews again one day. Um, I just want to take a break from from now because I've been doing them for so long. uh, And I'm really excited about this new kind of format of doing things. Uh, But we'll see. I I have in my mind that we may break out to do special episodes for a certain reason at some point. uh, But but we'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: Looking forward to the rest of it
1: anyway. Cheers, mate.
0: What's your average day-to-day like? Uh, Because you must be dealing with a number of different time zones as well.
1: Yeah, uh, I think at the moment I kind of, I wake up at like nine and just like lays about for two hours as I try and recalibrate because I I still tend to go to bed at like three in the morning um, because that's just kind of the way that my day shifts a bit. I'm a bit closer to American time because of recording and making sure I need people to be awake. My days are really weird because they don't follow a certain pattern. Because I kind of can and do work from, like, 10 to 3 or 2, I don't work constantly through the day. I kind of take my breaks throughout. So I might work for a couple of hours, play some video games for a couple of hours, watch an episode of Top Gear, you know, and then work a bit more and kind of go through that. And I haven't really got a structure which is probably good because I'm finding new things to do. So now Inquisitive, now rather than taking two hours to do every Wednesday, it takes me all week to make an episode now, Um, which I love doing, but that's kind of now enforcing a bit more of a structure. Um, New things happen every day, and I like to just try, I'm, I'm quite a reactive person, so Get an email, do the email, do the sponsor requests. I live in OmniFocus now, and it's, I've kind of got all my tasks set up. But there kind of isn't an average day anymore. They're just long days, but that is not a complaint. I love doing it that way. Do you have a favorite show or a show that you think is best on FM? Inquisitive is best right now. Um, everyone's going to kill me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I'm really proud of it. Uh, because I have worked so hard on it. Uh, but it's interesting because I, I do genuinely love all the shows that we do. I think they're all amazing. Uh, and it's this kind of this weird, completely unmodest thing. I, I kind of wish that I didn't make the shows so I could listen to them. Uh, I'm kind of jealous of people that get to listen to all of my shows because I I would like to listen to those. I think they're really good. Uh, But I can't really listen to myself talk again and again. But I think right now, I think that Inquisitive is so different that it's exciting, Uh, but outside of that, I think each show could be best dependent on the person that's coming to it. Somebody that really loves Android is probably not going to love The Pen Addict. Like, those two things, that is not going to be that person's favourite show, or they're not going to think it's the best. But if you love pens, The Pen Addict is the show for you. <laughs> so it changes. I think it's dependent person to person, but right now, I'm most proud of Inquisitive.
2: This is uh, entirely selfish, but um, I think uh, a lot of us in the the UK want to help support the network, but a lot of the promotions and a lot of the sponsors are all US-focused. Is there any plans to... Uh get some UK focused sponsors or worldwide focused sponsors?
1: Our audience is about 60 to 70% American. So I have approached UK sponsors and they won't sponsor because our audience is about 12% UK, which makes perfect sense for them. Why would you do that? Like uh, there've been some companies that do like mail order stuff in the UK that I love. Uh, there's a coffee company that I really love. I don't want to name them, because it's weird for them. Uh, but I understand from their perspective, if they can only go to 12% of my audience, I'm not going to charge them 12% of the money, because that doesn't make any sense for me. So they're kind of way overpaying for the people that they can get in front of. And I am conscious that we have a bunch of US-centric sponsors because I actually can't use their products and they have to like like we have a shaving company that sponsors us and they have to like FedEx me stuff which so I can actually talk about the products. Um, it's something that I'm conscious of and trying to think about how do we find more sponsors that don't have regional restrictions but that also battles against what I want to do which is to not just have web hosting companies and web making companies as our sponsors. I think for this industry as a whole to be viable, we need to have more companies like traditional radio. So, like, we have companies that sponsor us that sell mattresses, that sell razor blades, that sell clothing. We need those, I think, to continue. But the problem is, in some instances, geographical restrictions apply. But it's something I'm always thinking of. It's a really good question, because I do feel like I'm kind of betraying my homeland. I
2: think if there was another way where we could... uh support the network, if not through sponsorship, even just like a donation form, you probably would, so.
1: I hear that a lot, um, and it's like the crowdfunding thing that I was talking about. I just don't think right now, basically I don't want people to give me money and get nothing extra in return, because you guys listen to our ads, so you're already paying, right? So that I don't want you to have to pay for the stuff that we give for free, um, and I don't criticise anybody that does that because I totally understand why people do it. Because we get, we're kind of leaving money because people say, "I want to give you money." It's like, yeah, okay. But we need to. I think we need to find a reason. There has to be an exchange of something between us and you. And we're trying to work on that. I think that there there are some things that we have, some ideas that we have for things that might work. Uh, But we're kind of seeing how that that goes. I mean, we had a really successful Kickstarter campaign for The Pen Addict to do a live episode with me in Atlanta. That opened my eyes to the fact that there are people that want to give us money, and it's awesome. But I don't want to just take it. I want there to be something that we give in return. And I think that's going to be something I put a lot more thought into this year.
0: Sorry, I'm getting a bit greedy. Um, Just uh, relating to the last question, or the previous question to that, you are saying about... um the audience is quite split, American to British, like, mainly 70-30. And obviously you're, you know, bringing in uh, female presenters to deal with that demographic. Have you thought about doing shows with more British people to uh, to sort that out, like, more British tech people?
1: I don't think that it makes a difference. Um, I don't think that we would skew our audience because we have more British people, because... me. Uh, Like, I am... British, so in theory it would bring that audience, but it it doesn't. I don't know what it is that makes the balance. I think Americans like my accent. I think it works really well for me. Um, I don't have, we don't have, like, we want a set type of person. Like, we don't look for people from different places or from different backgrounds. I just want people that are interesting and have really cool things to say. And that's, like, number one for us is somebody that has good stuff to say that we think could make a really good program. And that's kind of where we've been building it so far. I mean, there you know, there are times where we're like, we're not looking for this type of thing. Um, and so it's more like on the other side, like we don't go out there and be like, I want to find this type of person, let me find this type of person. But we may reject a show or an idea, or if it's too similar to something that we're already doing, because just oversaturate. But If there are people that have got great voices in this country that have something that I think is really interesting, of course we'd look at it. Like we would be stupid not to. But the other thing about that is we don't want to grow too fast. Um, We get quite a lot of pitches of shows, uh, which is, uh, my understanding, is normal. I know I did it when I was starting out. Uh, But I think one of my problems initially with 70 decibels is I grew it too big too quick. And it became really hard for me to manage. And for me to be able to, because it is just me and Stephen, for us to be able to put enough time into all of the shows and give people what they need, we need the time. And every new show is a, is a new time commitment. So it's important that we're trying to, to, to stay focused and just grow where we think is necessary. Is there any more questions? I think we're done. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute honour to talk to you all. I'm sorry if I speak too quickly. Uh, I'm very excited. kind of nervous. It's weird to talk to people's faces. I just put a wall in front of you and it would have gone smoothly. Uh, But thank you so much for your fantastic questions. You did a better job than I did. Uh, And thank you all for listening as well.